Welcome to the Mission Driven Podcast, a show designed to empower, educate, and encourage you to stay focused and committed to your mission. I'm your host, AC Cristales. Let's get ready to roll. Welcome back to Mission Driven with AC Cristales. Man, it's been quite some time since I released a solo podcast episode. In fact, the last solo podcast that I released was on February 9th. That's almost two months. It's a long time. But like many of us, I'm sure that there's not anybody out there who would have expected what has transpired in the world this last month and a half. Our world has forever changed because of COVID-19, the coronavirus, and therefore I know that it'd be foolish of me to begin this solo podcast without addressing this social issue that, again, um, is affecting everybody. You know, regardless of your race, your ethnicity, your gender, your sexual orientation or religion, this virus doesn't discriminate. So my hope, my hope is that all of you who are tuning into this episode are doing everything you can to stay safe and healthy. And you're also doing your part in following the social distance guidelines in your city so that we can flatten this curve and hopefully soon get back to some level of normalcy. Look, I recognize that our lives are not the same since the last time I recorded an episode. And by no means do I want to be inconsiderate to what you, your family and loved ones may be going through as a result of this pandemic. Um, Look, we're all in this together. We're all facing this pandemic, you know. But again, there are some people who are are facing issues that some people aren't. But anyways, I didn't want to release an entire episode dedicated to telling you how to combat and survive this COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure that there are a lot of videos, a lot of social media posts, a lot of articles, a lot of podcast episodes that have been providing that content already. However, I do want to share this quick quote that truly is one of my favorite quotes of all time. In fact, it is a quote that I use in some of my speaking programs when referencing what I believe is one of the greatest powers that all of us humans have, and that is the power to choose. And for those of you who are taking time during this quarantine to read books, let me quickly recommend the book from which this quote comes from. And it is Man's Search for Meaning. Let me say it again. Man's Search for Meaning. And it was written by Dr. Viktor Frankl. It is a phenomenal book with empowering and inspiring information. So definitely check it out if you get a chance. All right. So here, here's how the quote goes. All right, guys. Everything can be taken from a man. But one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And the reason which I want to share that quote with you right now is because some of you may be getting stripped of everything right now. I mean, you're losing everything or you're, you know, you're, you're scared about losing your job or maybe you have lost your job or you're scared of, of not being able to pay, you know, your mortgage or your rent. Some of you, you know, you can't even see, you know, your family members because, you know, of the restrictions that the city or the county in which you live in has, has placed upon you. And so you feel like you're losing everything, your plans, right? Maybe you had vacation plans to go somewhere and those are lost and you really feel like you're losing everything right now. But even when you lose everything, okay, this is what I take from this quote. Even when you lose everything, one thing always remains. And that is that you have the power to choose. You have the power to choose, to choose what attitude you're going to face each day with, to choose whether you're going to live by fear of what might and might not happen or live by faith and knowing that you believe in God, right? Knowing that you believe in a higher power, a higher deity who promised, all right? So if you believe in God, you believe in this promise that he would never leave you nor forsake you, all right? And so again, you have that power to choose. No one can force you to choose anything. You are the one who is in charge of your attitude and which way you choose to approach life. And so that's my encouragement to you, not only through this virus pandemic, but for the rest of your life, always realizing that the greatest power that you have is the power of choice. And with that in mind, I have to thank you for choosing to tune in to this episode. What I want to provide with this episode is I want to have some fun. All right? I want to have some I want to do something different, uh, but definitely, definitely want to provide some encouraging words um, that will help you wherever you may find yourself in your journey. And so just real quick, you know, before we get to the to the meat 
of the podcast. Just within the past week, I want to let you guys know that the show received two great reviews on Apple Podcasts, right? About how the show is relatable and encouraging. And one person even wrote that it reminded them que si se puede. And that's right, si se puede. I love reading that the podcast is being a positive force in people's lives because, again, that is the main reason why I began to record these episodes. It's to bring something of value to your life for your situation, some encouragement when you're struggling, some light when you feel you can't shake off the darkness and some hope when you're hurting and feel you can't go on. See, here's the thing. I want to be the one. I want to be the one that tells you you can go on. Did you hear that? Yeah, you can go on. You can move forward. You can pick up the pieces from a broken relationship. You can recover from a failure or missed opportunity. You can take that shot. I want this to be about helping you. And so with that in mind, what I did two weeks ago on social media, I asked those that follow me on Instagram at AC Cristales, this little shameless plug right there. I asked those that follow me what topics they were interested in, and I received some suggestions that I'll be covering in this episode. And in fact, I covered the social emotional support for students during this you know, COVID-19 crisis on the last episode that I recorded. And so for this one, right, for this one, for this one, without further ado, you know, I'm going to I'm not going to call out the person who uh, gave the recommendation. I'm not going to do that person like that, even though even though, you know, I am ranked like 108 on their favorite principal list ever, right? I'm sure they have a favorite principal list and I'm number 108 on their list. That person's probably mad right now. I'm messing with you, no. But anyways, this person suggested that I do a podcast on blood in, blood out. That's right, baby. Vatos locos forever, you know? And so here it goes. Mission driven with AC Cristales, blood in, blood out style. In the heart of the city, in the soul of its people. There is a power stronger than law. I have never been so proud of my life as today. A force deeper than friendship. I don't forget where I come from or who I am. That's what keeps me going every day. A passion <laughs> greater than life. Who are you fighting? You're just fighting yourself! Oh, those are my carnales, they're my family! I'm it's the tie that bound them together in their youth. Let me see the color inside you. And now will drive them apart. This is the epic story of three brothers. Run, carnal, run! Vatos locos forever, carnal, let's go! One searched for truth in the law. You kill your own people! No! One expressed his passion through art. To be completely sold out by the end of the night. Ah! And one found power in prison. No one can stop us. You used me. What about all the time you used me? From the director of An Officer and a Gentleman and the producer of La Bamba. Blood in. Blood out. That's a bond you can never break. All right, off the bat, off the bat, blood in, blood out. I got to say this. I have to say this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay, it's a movie that I quote every now and then because, again, I'm a person who quotes movies and song lyrics all the time. And although many people who know about the film see it as just a movie about gangs, you know, when they usually talk about it, they say it's a gang movie. To me, it's a lot deeper than that. Of course, when I first saw the movie back when I was 12 years old, it was all about the gangster lifestyle, right? And I definitely, definitely was throwing up the VL, you know, the Vatos Locals Forever home sign. And, and of course, the scenes that I reenacted with my boys, they were scenes that were violent. But you got to remember, I was just a teenager when that was going on, right? I was just trying to prove to others and to myself how hard I was, even though I was never initiated into a gang, right? At least not into the gangs. Like we had pretend gangs and stuff, right? We always wanted to portray like we were, you know, certain type of gang members, but we were never initiated into a gang like the ones, in, in, you know, portrayed in this movie. But again, that's what I wanted people to think. You know, I wanted people to think like, yo, this guy right here, right? This guy right here who lived on Ridgewood and Derry in East Garland, this guy was not someone to mess with. 
And so those were the type of people that I hung out with, you know, during, you know, fourth and fifth grade. I mean, it started early and you're probably thinking fourth and fifth grade. And I'm here to tell you, yeah, fourth and fifth grade. And even during my middle school years, you know, but I believe as we got older and we went into high school, um, we just started to go into two different groups. You know, either the group grew out of this phase of just trying to portray like they were gangbangers and whatnot. But but who people still need to look like, yo, you don't want to mess with them. All right. Don't mess with this guy. He may be quiet. He may not be claiming to sit, but don't catch him on the wrong day. Right. Or some people from the group really became about that life. You know, they really, you know, started using and selling drugs in school. They really, you know, for whatever reason, felt like the gangster lifestyle was for them. So they skipped school. They probably dropped out of school. And so you saw the divide happen. Right. And you have to understand And Maybe you're thinking like, why, you know, why were people, you know, if, if you look, you Google like just 90s music and stuff and 90s rap and gangster rap, you'll realize that it was during this time. Right. Because, again, yeah, I am that old. I grew up in the in the early 90s. Gangs. This is when gangster rap music just erupted. Right. And so the majority of people who listen to this music, you know, they wanted to be like Easy E. They wanted to be like Q and Biggie and Snoop. I mean, seriously, I wanted to be like Snoop Dogg. You know, I remember that I uh, bought Cool Water Cologne. Why? Because that's what Snoop rapped about. I remember that I, I, want, I told my mom to buy me some blue Converse, right? Some Chucks. Why? Because that's what Snoop wore. And so... I remember wanting to be like Pac too. People wanted to be like Pac. And I was rapping lyrics like, call the cops when you see Tupac, right? Grab your Glocks when you see Tupac. Because again, you know, I wanted to be like Pac. And so gangster rap music had a lot of people, a lot of teenagers, a lot of kids portraying, you know, just how tough they were, even if they really weren't. And, you know, in thinking back on it, I think it's all about appearance, right? It was all about appearance and not really much has changed. You know, it's the same as the teenagers of today and even some adults, you know, talking about how they're balling, how they got money in the bank. And I love it when like kids talk about they're driving Bugattis, when in reality, number one, they're not balling. Number two, they don't have money, not in no bank, not even in their pockets. And I remember telling one of my middle school students one day, like, yo, spell Bugatti. Come on, baby. Spell Bugatti, you know, and he kind of just looked at me. And so but again, it's about appearance, right? It's about portraying like you you're living this type of lifestyle. And so. Back in the early 90s, it was about portraying that, man, you were tough, you were hard, you were you were about it, you know. But I can see why me and kids from, you know, my neighborhood turned to gangster rap music because simply it was real. You know, the drugs, the gangs and crime and honestly, those things and, and many more things clearly showed us the disadvantages that were apparent in our neighborhoods. And so we felt like gangster rap music, you know, we could relate to that because our lives weren't Sesame Street like, you know, and it wasn't about like MC Hammer, you can't touch this. You know, it wasn't that type of music, man. It was real, it was raw. And again, these rappers rapped about issues that were going on in certain neighborhoods in America. And so gangster rap and these so-called gangster movies, because that's what they call Blood In, Blood Out. They called it a gangster movie, right? American Me, it was a gangster movie. Uh, Boys in the Hood, a gangster movie. But these movies were much more than that. These movies painted a picture, right? A real picture of what certain, you know, young people in America had to deal with. And that's what low income neighborhoods where drugs are present, where gang activity is present, where prostitution and crime, all those factors are present. And here's the biggie. Okay. Here's the biggie for me, especially me, you know, teaching sociology, how all those factors and how all those social issues can affect kids growing up in that environment. If, and that's the biggie. Okay. If other social institutions, Okay. And for this podcast, if you don't know what social institution means, let me just give you some examples. Social institutions, family, the school system, the religious system, the government, if those social institutions in their life fail them. Okay. And see, that's what I want to focus on with this episode. I want to focus on the family. All right. Because to me, the family is the first and the most important social institution in all of our lives. And so you have to realize, and I'm sure you know this, that the family has a huge effect on our lives because look, we're influenced by our families. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that. The way that we act, the way that we think, the way that we live, especially in our first 18 years of our lives, you know, the way we think, the way we live, the way we act, you know, man, it's affected by our family, you know? And so think about the things that you practice. Think about the things that you believe. Think about the things that you value, right? That are important to you. 
all that has come about because of who your family is. And so being a sociologist, this is something that I love. I love talking about. And I hope you can hear that as I'm talking about it right now. And so one of the main points that I always do when I'm teaching sociology is this, is that in order to understand sociology, in order to understand other people, because that's what sociology is, you're studying, you know, the human interaction in society, you have to realize, okay, you have to realize that other people's choices and experiences, you have to see those through a different set of lenses. Okay. So let me say that again. Okay. In order to understand, you know, people, you have to see their choices, their experiences through a different set of lenses. And this is called using your sociological imagination, which means that the decision, okay, or a set of decisions that another person in society makes is impacted by their society. Okay. And not so much what's out there. When I talk about society, I'm talking about their family, their neighborhood, their religion, their school, their peers, everything that surrounds an individual makes up their society. And so again, the decisions that a person makes is impacted by their society and their experiences within these segments of society. So let me give you an example real quick, real quick. All right. I, I have a wonderful relationship with my mom and I love her to death. All right. She's my hero. Okay. As, as cliche as that sounds, she's my hero and she's been a huge inspiration in my life. And I'm also close with my brother. I mean, he's my ride or die. In fact, we're more than brothers. Okay. We're best friends and he has my back and I have his, but using my sociological imagination challenges me to realize and understand that there are people who aren't close with their mom, not the way that I am, right? They're not close and they're not close with their siblings and their relationship with their family is broken. It's strained. And so I tell my students all the time, and I want to tell you guys who are listening that one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is to assume that everyone has had the same type of upbringing as you, that everybody sees things the same way. That's just not the case because not everybody's been brought up the same way. Okay. Not everybody has been, has been taught to believe that God exists and that God is a good God. And not everybody's been taught how to be respectful. Okay. And even if they've been taught to be respectful, you know, that that's going to look different to different people. All right. So realize that one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is to assume that everybody has had the same type of experiences because that's just not the case. I mean, look at our world, right? And look at now with social media, it's so much easier to see how people think. It's so much easier to see how people feel, how they act and the things that they do. And sometimes, I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes you can find yourself thinking like, man, like why do people do that? Well, it's because they have a different set of experiences than you and I do. And so what that boils down to is this, our choices are affected by our social environment and experiences. And again, we all have different environment and experiences. And as a kid, the environment you grew up in, you can't choose. You couldn't choose that your dad didn't want to be a part of your life. As a kid, you couldn't choose that your mom cared more about finding a man than taking care of you. You couldn't choose that your parents verbally and physically abused you. You couldn't choose that you grew up in a neighborhood where using drugs and skipping school were encouraged and going to school was discouraged. You couldn't choose that. But, but as you grow older, right, and as you grew older, you have the opportunity. And if you're listening to this right now and you're you're going into college or, you know, you're still in high school, you I want you to understand is as you grow older, you have the opportunity to seize the power to make decisions that will either help your life get better or put you in predicaments that will hurt you and even hurt those who love you and those you love as well. And that's one of the lessons that I get from this movie, Blood In, Blood Out. Yeah, I know I get deep into movies, but man, it's more than a gang movie. All right. I just talked about environment and society affecting individuals. Well, in this movie, the three main characters, Miklo, Paco and Cruz, they're characters whose potential is severely limited by the circumstances that they encounter in their life. I mean, in this movie, you have gang fights, you have shootouts, you have them being chased by cops. You have one of them who experiences prison life. You have another one who becomes addicted to heroin. And then because of his addiction to heroin, his younger brother dies. So you can't tell me that these circumstances don't affect a person's lives. They do. And as I said, you know, I said this as well. It's all about how you present yourself, right? One of the reasons that, you know, I wanted to pretend, you know, and, and show people that I was part of a gang because it's all about how you present yourself. Well, in this movie, you know, you have Miklo, you have Paco, and they chose to define themselves at one point or another in their lives. They chose to define themselves to their peers. And it was all about swagger. It was all about intimidation. It was all about don't mess with me. 
right? Don't mess with me. I said, it was all about that, you know, hey, you don't mess with me type attitude, right? So yeah, it's a gang movie, but don't limit it to a gang movie. For me, it's a movie that spoke to me, especially being a Latino, all right? Especially at a time, like I'm telling you, this is 1993, at a time where there weren't that many Latino movies. I mean, seriously, you know, I was... <laughs> you get you get to a point where you're just tired of watching Cantinflas y La India Maria, you know? I know you're probably thinking American Meat because they came around around the same time, but before that, the only other Latino movie with an all-Latino cast, all right, was La Bamba that I can think off the top of my head, which coincidentally was produced by Taylor Hackford, who directed Blood In, Blood Out. So anyways, you know, you have this all-Latino cast, and to me, it's just like, man, you know, these these people look like me. You know, these people talk like me, even though I'm not Mexican, but, uh, you know, I hang out with people who are Mexican. And so it was like, yo, about those locals forever. Right. And so it spoke to me, um, not only because of the Latino connection, but also because of family and the decisions that the characters made within the film and how those decisions not only affected their own life, but also their family's life, because this is the truth. All right. This is a truth that I will forever proclaim. Our choices and decisions don't just affect us as individuals. Our choices and decisions affect our family, our children, and our loved ones. And I know that firsthand by personal experience, not just by what I went through as a kid, but also what I have experienced as an adult. You see, I'm someone who has made his share of mistakes. You know, I, I failed in marriage. You know, I, I seem to be on an eternal chase for God knows what sometimes. And I'm someone who doesn't always do the right thing. And as much as I want to be the best father I can be to Isabella, I'm someone who doubts as to whether I'm doing that or not. You know, I'm just, just being honest, man. And I know I went personal on y'all just right now, but that's me, you know, transparency and authenticity is what it's all about, but let's get to the movie. All right, let's get to the movie. Now, this isn't a rewatch type podcast where I break down what worked, what didn't work, what could have been, you know, in this movie, this is more of a relate. All right. Again, how do I relate to this film and how do I connect it to something that will be a lesson and benefit to our lives? But I am going to break down a couple of my favorite scenes and some dope quotes from the film. And dope means cool, by the way. All right. And some funny parts from the movie, because most movies that me and my friends watched or have watched, we always seem to find something funny in them, even when the comedy is unintentional. All right. So keyword. All right, guys, here's the disclaimer real quick. Keyword is some because I know that there are some of you who have seen this movie, who are listening to this podcast, and you're probably going to have your own favorite scenes, your own favorite quotes, and your own funny moments. And if that's the case, hit me up on social media and let me know, hey, man, you should have included this. All right. So let's just go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and get started with some of the funny moments from the movie. All right. So first one off the bat, when Miklo arrives to East L.A. In fact, I have to say this real quick. Most of Miklo's scenes in the first hour where he's trying his hardest to prove that he's Mexican, Man, that's some, that's some of the funniest stuff to me, all right? But when Miklo gets to East LA and he sees El Pino, and he sees El Pino, right? And if you haven't seen the movie, El Pino is like a big tree who, that apparently is still in East LA. Like, it's, it's part of East LA. It's a landmark in East LA. Like, they will never take that tree down, right? So he sees El Pino, he sees this tree, and he throws up the VL gang sign. I mean, I love it, man. Like, I've never gone anywhere in stood in front of a place and just throwing up a gang sign, right? So when I see that, it's like, yo, that's that's pretty funny. That's pretty cool. And I'm telling y'all, man, I'm telling y'all, one day I'm going to L.A., I'm going to East L.A., and I'm going to find El Pino, and I'm going to throw up that VL sign just like Miklo. But thinking about why this is funny, right? Because growing up in my neighborhood, you know, there weren't that many white kids on the street where I grew up on. And so the ones that I did talk to, or the ones that I did hang out with or who hung out with my friends who were either Latino or black, we would sometimes call them Miklo, all right? And so, yeah, yeah, we were like that. We'd call them Miklos and stuff because they were white boys who wanted to be Latino or black, right? The second scene that, that you know, I just think is funny. It's like when one of my favorite characters from the movie, Paco, he walks in, right? And he, he tells Miklo, Pillsbury Doughboy, he calls him that, right? And he rags Miklo about his fluorescent skin, right? And so he says this. And 
ain't no one sharing my bed and TV but a woman. I like that. But his mom, like, just, you know, his mom just gets Latino on him, right? And just hits him on the head, you know, because that's Latina moms for you, man. You know, you act like you're a tough guy and bad, and they put you in your place quick. I'm telling you. And I remember being afraid of my mom. She'd give me that look, and that look was like vas a ver look. You ever get that look, that vas a ver? Like, just wait and see? Like, you knew it was over, right? And if you got the slap, boom, it was double over, especially when the slap just came out of nowhere. Like, you're just talking and like, bam. Yeah, yeah, that's Latina moms for you. But anyways, so that's a funny scene for me. And again, like I said, man, just the Miklo scenes again, you know, he's trying, to hard, he's trying his hardest to prove how tough he is. And it's funny to me because... He was trying hard, like really hard to be accepted by his cousins. And he wanted them to see that he was a Mexicano. He wanted acceptance bad. And not that wanting acceptance is a funny thing, okay? Because as, as a kid and as a teenager, and I think there's even some adults who just, they just want to be accepted, right? But I think about the choices, right? I think about the choices that he was making and it's just like, and it's a movie, man. So it was probably just coming off a little bit over the top. But that was just, again, part of the script for it to come out, you know, over the top. But I also thought about the choices that I made as a kid, you know. And now looking back on it, you know, they were dumb. They were stupid, you know. And I, I was trying to be someone I wasn't as well, you know. And, and I did it because, oh, well, like, the same reason why Miklo did it. I wanted to be accepted. You know, the only difference being I was 100% Latino. So I just wanted to be accepted as somebody who was tough. So I remember, you know, wearing all blue because I wanted my peers to think. I wanted my friends to think. I wanted other people around me to think, yo, this guy's a crip. No crip, though. All right. I remember throwing up that C, you know, throwing up that C with my hand. And it wasn't for Cristales. It was, again, because I wanted people to think that I was a crip. I remember starching my jeans so they could be pleated. I remember tagging, spray painting walls in the neighborhood. And this is probably one of the dumbest things I did. But I'm going to admit it. All right. I remember I was wearing a blue bandana one day because, again, Crip. Right. And while my brother and I were going to church. All right. Let me say that again. <clears throat> we were going to church. All right. And I was rocking a blue bandana and the cops pulled us over and he asked me why I was wearing a blue bandana. And I remember my brother being so mad at me and telling me, like, yo, you need to stop pretending. And of course, I thought I was bad. And so I muttered under my breath. Did you hear that? Muttered under my breath. So he couldn't hear me that I was a gangster, but I wasn't a gangster. I was just trying to portray one, you know. So when I see Miklo being mad about Tres Puntos tagging up the wall or yelling, Viva los vatos locos, right? When Cruz, you know, won the art competition or just wanted to do something to Tres Puntos, right? It's just, it's just funny to me, especially when he speaks Spanish, right? It's like Soy de Pico Jaliso and all that stuff. It's just like, he's just funny. Or El Chuy, El Chuy is mi carnal. I mean, that's just... It's just a trip to me, man. El Chuy? Chuy? It's me, Carnal. He was just trying hard to impress others. And as a kid, you know, and especially as a kid with no identity, isn't that, isn't that what we all do? The next one, I love it. And this goes with one of the scenes that I'm going to cover a little bit later. But I like when Paco gets revenge for what Tres Puntos did to Cruz, right? And he hits Spider with the bat. And Spider's complaining that his ribs hurt. And he's like, my ribs. And Paco's like, you ain't talking so bad now, is it, right? And of course, he's not talking so bad. His ribs, bro, right? So <laughs> that's one of the things that, you know, me and my my friend, man, my, my good friend for now 20 years, you know, we always talk about my ribs. And so, uh, Jose, shout out to Jose, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, man, that's that's always funny. What you going, chaval? Get off. I'm talking so bad now, I see. Man. Popeye, like Popeye, all his scenes are funny. I mean, I just love that guy, man. Uh, he's just, he's just funny. I think it's his voice, right? Like, como te llamas, güero? I mean, just like, yo, he, every scene with Popeye is like just hilarious, right? And I think it's because of the way he talks. Check this out. Oh yeah, Narco, you like busting dope dealers? Big deal going down tomorrow. The Zodis on Whittier. What is this? Look for a blue Econoline van with 20 keys of coke inside. You'll be on a six o'clock news. So the next one, the parole picture scene is, is pretty funny to me. You know how, um, you know, Popeye's about to get on parole and, you know, and he's got to take that that prison picture. Right. And, you know, he's like, hey, parole only happens once. Right. And so anyways, he, he makes sure to get La Onda to pose a certain way. Right. And so it's, it's funny to me because I remember when. Uh, Remember when we were younger, 
you know, we just wanted to take pictures where we look like we were hard, right? So you get your group of four or five boys or 10 boys or whatever, man, and you just, you took a picture and you didn't smile, right? And, you know, some of you threw up gang signs and stuff. It was just, it was like that prison picture, right? And so none of us were ever smiling, right? But now, you know, now I think we've outgrown that. I think, I think we smile a lot more now, right? I mean, at least I do. I know now I smile a lot more because I'm like, man, it makes me look younger. I think if I have that little scowl on my face or something, I'm going to look a lot older. And I'm like, man, I got this gray hair already. Like, yo, I need anything to make me look younger or whatever. So not only that, but hey, I'm a little, I'm a little happier now in my life. But anyway, so uh, the next one that's funny. I like the scene with Glavo. All right, so Glavo is the one who who's the loan shark, right? And so they're they're in uh, you know Popeye's apartment, and uh, Crucito and Miklo come in, right? Cruz, Crucito, and when Glavo hears Crucito, his head turns quickly, and he's like, Crucito, right? Where are them four G's you owe me, right? And I love I love Cruz's reply. He talks about how he's got to sell a couple of paintings in Mela Rayo. Anyway, so I got to say this real quick why it's funny to me, right? Because, again, this is not a rewatch. This is a relate. It's uh, I remember telling my friend, right? Because, again, we'll, we'll talk in like we'll talk in terms of like movies and stuff. And so telling my friend like, yo, man, um, you know, you owe me for you owe me money for a trip or something, right? For a trip that we had planned together. And he's like, yo, I got to work a little more, more, more overtime. Yes, was me la rayo, right? So anyways, and so that's a funny scene. There's other funny stuff within that scene, but I like how, uh, you know, Claudio hits him up about them four Gs. Cruzito. Hey, 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 Cruz. Where you been, Eze? Hey, Claudio, ¿qué pasó, homes? And you a tough mama to find. Where are those little four Gs that you owe me? Oh, look, look, Holmes, I just got to sell a couple of my paintings that say in Melarayo, I'll get you your feria, Holmes. Paintings, that's right. At least you gave me some paintings, essay. And then the next funny scene for me, man, is um, it, it's it's a sad scene because Montana, right? Montana is, you know, the, the leader of La Onda, and he's a really good dude if you think about it. I mean, he's not like a ruthless gang leader. You know, he really just cares about, you know, just helping the Chicanos out. And he doesn't want to start war. He wants to keep peace. In fact, he says one thing that I didn't put in here, but I'm going to say right here. Um, it's It was a line where he talked about, like, what if they don't want peace? And he was like, I mean, very, very wise guy. He was like, you know, they don't they don't even know what peace is, you know, so they can't have it. You know, you can't have it because you don't know what it is. But anyway, so this scene is funny. Um, so Montana is going to go get to see his daughter for his first time. Um, because, you know, his daughter was born while he was incarcerated. And so he gets an opportunity to be transferred to another another jail facility. And while he's there, he's going to have his chance to meet his daughter. Well, he didn't know that he was being set up. And so this old school, you know, um, rival gang member, you know, because in the movie, it's, you know, the prison gangs are, are divided between races. Right. So you have your Mexican gang, you have your black gang and you have your white gang. When the scene is, it's uh, you know, an older black gentleman, right? He plays Montana, you know, he he's friendly with him at first, and then um, but that that was just a setup because the next morning, like five minutes before Montana is gonna meet his daughter, you know, uh, Wallace, who who's the name of the the black gangster, like stabs him and stuff, and so uh, and that, that's not the funny part. The funny part is like he's screaming for cheap times, right? And so uh. When he's screaming, he's yelling for cheap times, for cheap times. And he even calls him a taco eating, you know, guy or whatever. And so he's 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 stabbing him and saying for cheap times. And that's because cheap times is the place where his brother was kicking it at when his brother was killed. So anyways, you, you got to see it. You just got to see the film. And then you're just like, oh, for cheap times. But anyways, uh, again, again, not a rewatch or relate. And there's times where. Things have happened, and we'll just say for cheap times. This is what they call a change of plans. For cheap times! For cheap times! So again, those are just some of the funny scenes that, that I just wanted to share. Again, this is a three-hour movie, so I know, I know there's a lot more funny scenes that I'm sure you're probably thinking, yo, why didn't you share? Hey, just hit me up. All right, so the next one. Let's talk about some dope dialogue quotes from the film, all right? So I'm gonna say some and then I'm gonna play some as well. All right, here's the first one. The first one, juntos, pero no revueltos. 
that. Next one is... Hey, take a look in the mirror, weirdo. Does it snow in L.A.? Does a white boy get a Via Placaso? No, he don't. I like that. Does the snow in East L.A.? <laughs> Does a white boy get a Via Placaso? Like that Placaso is tattooed, by the way. Uh, next one, Life's a Risk, carnal. Then the next one is Te Voy a Pintar. Right, there you go. So for any of my fellows out there, want to tell a girl, hey, te voy a pintar, you know, you want to paint her. Make sure you can paint, though, all right? Make sure you're a good painter. Don't just say que te voy a pintar and you don't know how to pintar, all right? Uh, I like this one, right? This is actually an exchange, right? So it's, uh, Bach will, you know, he's vowed to get revenge for what, you know, Tres Puntos did to his brother. And uh, he says, we're going to get them tomorrow. And one of the gang members is like, in daylight, it's Sunday. And then Paco's like, they're not going to a mass. I like that. So that's, that's pretty funny. Um, Here's another good one. I like this one. If we do nothing, then we are nothing. All right. And here's another one. Ah, now for my brown brothers. Sorry, no tortilla. Here's another good one. I don't want his pork chop. I want his life. Good one. This is a good one as well because, again, you know, Mikolo's trying his hardest to prove that he is, you know, Mexicano, Chicano. And um, he says this, Chicano is not a color. It's the way you think and it's the way you live. Now, this one's a really good one because it just talks about the whole, you know, I don't know where you're at with the whole criminal justice system, but, you know, if we were to have a discussion on that, you'd know that the criminal justice system in the United States is not always fair. So I like what Montana tells Miklo. He says to them, you're just a number. And to them, he's referring to the justice system. To them, you're just a number. Everyone who enters the joint thinks he's a man you know what he really is a number worth 30 grand a year there you go it's pretty got some wisdom right there next one is nice placa you got you should be riding with me not messing with me like that good old popeye uh the next one la onda don't shine shoes there you go baby la onda don't shine shoes the next one 100 grand in nueva york that wakes people up well, guess what clavo in Texas, 100 grand, that wakes me up too, baby. I'm sure that wakes up a lot of people. All right, here's another one. Pocos pero locos. That's a good one. Here's here's one from this exchange. I like it. All right, so, if, you know, if somebody asks you if you can do something, you need to respond like this. Easy as mantequilla on a hot tortilla. All right, say that again. All right, somebody asks you, hey, can you do that? Can you do that? You tell them this. Easy as mantequilla on a hot tortilla. Now this is a good one from Paco. I like this one. Cause this is how you can tell somebody who thinks that you've sold out, you tell them this. No, uh -uh. see, I don't forget where I come from or who I am. That's what keeps me going every day. Here's another good one. Me das esquina, yo te doy esquina. There you go. All right, and here's Miklo, right? When you expect nothing but get everything, that's destiny. Got one right there. All right, here's Paco. When Paco was talking to Miklo, he said, you have no idea what La Raza means. It's about our people out there working, surviving with pride and dignity. That's Raza, not lying and murdering. There you go, tell them. Uh, the next one is, your onda is not my onda, and it never will be. There you go, you just tell somebody that your onda is not my onda, and it never will be. And the last one, love it, love it. Miklo's rounding up the troops at the end of the movie. He's rounding up his his, you know, gang members, because now he's the leader of La Onda, and he says this, we're going to spread La Onda gospel Billy Graham style. There you go. All right. And there are some more, some more quotes that I'll get to in my favorite scenes from the movie. So here we go. Let's talk about the, let's talk about some, uh, some of my favorite scenes. I got four. All right. I got four real quick. Here's one. Paco gets revenge. Love it. Right. So. And that's where he says, if we do nothing, then we are nothing. We should be taking care of each other, not fighting on the street. If we do corner. nothing, then we are nothing. That's a good quote for life. If we do nothing, then we are nothing. It's all about action. And so in that scene, right, when Paco gets revenge, you know, I love, I just love how it's all set up. You know, Tres Puntos is all excited and happy, right? And then, uh, but Paco had a, Paco had a plan, right? Paco was going to get them in daylight. I was just marking a new territory. That's right. We're the new landlords. Vato locos are finished. Check out the new view, homies. But Tres Puntos is happy, you know. He's going to build a build a pad, right? Build a house, right? With white picket fences and stuff. 
And so all of a sudden, man, the whole plot for revenge is for Miko to distract them, right? And while he's distracting them, that's when, you know, Paco and all the other um, Vatos locals come out and they handle business, right? And so what's funny, though, is as, as Miklo is, you know, trying to distract Tres Puntos and Spider, you know, Spider's like, Vato Loco must be on medication to come here, right? So anyway, there's some good scenes there, right? But then, then you know it's on. And this is how you know it's on. Yeah, get up, Chucky. I love that, man. So, anyways, he gets revenge. He does his thing. You know, he he uh, introduces Spider to a tune called Stick and Cut with his blade. And then at the end, at the end, he tattoos VL, right? He tattoos VL on his chest with a blade. He cuts him, like he cuts deep into Spider's chest, VL on his chest, man. Crazy, crazy scene. Look at Yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes. And then, to be honest with you, it really continues, right? While they're getting chased by the cops and stuff and the Chicano U-turn, right? Because the Hudas can't make those U-turns. But one of the biggest things from that scene, because they get revenge and they're, then they're getting chased by the cops, is when um, they crash, right? So Paco crashes because he's driving real fast. And then um, Miklo had been shot by, by Spider. And Paco could have left Miklo there, but he didn't. Why? Because family. You see? So there in the first part of the movie, you see the theme of family. I mean, you see it from the very beginning, you know? Um, but right there, you saw how Paco didn't leave his side because, again, family. Run, carnal, run! Fuck those locals forever, carnal. Let's go! Come on! So scene number two, one of my favorites is when Miklo... And, and the audience, right, to this film gets introduced to San Quentin, the prison, right? And so you just, again, that's where we see Popeye Popeye for the first time. That's where we get to the introduction of, of the gangs. You get that placa, little boop Hey, Cinderella, go find yourself a fella. How to give a fool like you nightmares to see you won't understand that. Ain't nothing to me, I say. Mira, tres puntos like spider. Ooh, I'm the boogeyman. He pissed in his pants. <laughs> What's the onda? Some questions you don't ask. We get the introduction of who really runs prison, right? And it's not so much the street gangs anymore, right? And so uh, we meet Al, right? Al's pretty funny. Al works in the jail. Suave, Al. And so we meet Al, you know, who, I mean, just, man, he's, he's just racist, man. You know, he, he talks mess about blacks and Latinos. And, and it's funny because he has a, the line, you know, sorry, no tortillas, but... And as we see that, right, and um, again, you just realize, like, man, like, like prison is going to be different for Miklo. It's not going to be, you know, East Los Angeles. And so that's a pretty, pretty cool scene. It's one of my favorite scenes. The next scene, I love it. Love it. You know, when Paco goes to see Cruz, you know, after seven years. One of the reasons why this scene is powerful to me is because, you know, he hadn't seen Cruz for seven years. And the reason why he hadn't seen Cruz for seven years is because they had a little brother and the little brother, you know, died of a heroin overdose. And the reason he died of a heroin overdose is because he was at Cruz's house and there was heroin there. And this little 12 year old, you know, he decided to, you know, try heroin and he died. So it was a very sad scene. And so, um, I mean, Cruz really disappointed the family and the family, you know, at that, that point, you know, losing, losing, you know, uh, the youngest son, the youngest boy, you know, they, they pretty much disowned him, you know, and, but here, you know, seven years later, Paco decides to go see Cruz. He tells him he doesn't want to fight him. He says, I don't want to fight you, brother. And he says, well, what you want, man? Right. And, and Paco was like, not much, Carmelito. you know, he just wants to know how he's doing. And then Cruz delivers this line. <laughs> So what you want, man? Not much, Carnalito. Uh, hey, how are you? How are you doing? You know, things people usually say who care about each other. Well, see, after seven years of nothing, man, you want hospitality, huh? Hey, pues, there's a can of chinga tu madre right there on the table, man. Won't you help yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the, the best lines as well, right? 
And so there you go again. There's that, you know, family, that theme of family throughout this film, you know, that even though Crucito did something horrible, right? Or, you know, his younger brother died because of, you know, of Crucito just being careless, you know, still, right? Baco wanted to be there for his brother, you know, and, and, he, and it hurt him to see that now, you know, Cruz is, you know, who who is talented, right? He's a talented artist in this film, but now it's throwing away his life. You know, he's wrecking his life. As he said, hey, don't use Juanito as an excuse to wreck your life. And then Cruz just loses it, man. You know, he's like, yo, let's let's go. Let's throw down, right? And then again, you know, Paco's like, I don't want to fight you, little brother. You know, he don't want to fight him. He wants he wants that reconciliation. He wants like, yo, let's, let's mend this, man, because we're family. At the end of the day, we're family. We make mistakes. And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to change from, you know, overnight, but look, let's try to do something. So that's a powerful scene, man. Really powerful scene. And then my favorite, my favorite scene. You watch ya. Come look at yourself in the mirror, say. Oh, man. It's not all marked up, man. It's a sign of respect. For 10 years, man, I've been star trekking in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Thought if I came and looked at this, I might find my way back, you know? I love the ending. The ending is just, it's just powerful to me because as I was talking about in the last scene, right, you know, what, what Baco wanted with Cruz was, was reconciliation. So um, that's how the, the ending is for this movie. You know, it ends with family. It ends with reconciliation between the brothers. And again, probably for me, um, as I said in the beginning, it's because I'm super close to my brother, you know, and as imperfect as family may be, family is still a beautiful thing. All right. And so, you know, it's just, it's just pretty powerful, man. You know, they're, they're, they walk up, uh, actually they're walking, um, like to the Creek or whatever. Right. You know, they see the mural that the Cruz painted and it's, you know, as he said, it's not tagged up, meaning people haven't spray painted over them. You know, it's a sign of respect and Cruz is clean at this point. You know, he's not on drugs anymore. He's cleaned up his life, which is good to see as well. Right. Because again, no matter how many mistakes you've made, you know, you can still change your life. Like your life is not destined to stay in one spot. You know, you can make the changes that you need to, right? You just got to put yourself around, you know, good people. You got to put yourself in the right context to make changes that will improve your life. So we see that with Cruz, right? He even cut his hair, but he's not about Samson, right? He's just stripping himself. He's just stripping himself to the bone, right? As he said. But man, is a lot of powerful stuff. You know, uh, one of the quotes that that I remember from from that scene is, you know, you think you use the brotherhood like a shot of tequila. You think you just drink it down. It burns, makes you feel good. Yeah. You wake up the next morning with a hangover the rest of your life. What, not even a little carnalismo left in there, is it? What, you think you use brotherhood up like a shot of tequila? You just drink it down, it burns, makes you feel good, yeah. And then you're left with a hangover the rest of your life. Man, to me, that's just like, look, man, we're brothers. You know, it's just not, it's not just like a shot. Like, this is, this is forever. And so three things that I'm going to finish with, you know, especially with that I got from this scene. But again, it's it's a theme throughout the movie. We know we talk about family. But the first one in this scene is reconciliation. All right. And let me define reconciliation as a process of causing two people or groups of people to become friendly again after some sort of argument or disagreement. And again, this is family. And as I've said this before, the pain that hurts the most is when it comes from the people you love the most. All right, let me say that again. The pain that hurts the most is when it comes from people you love the most. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know, all right. You know that I was raised without a dad in my life, but I want to share something real quick with you guys. All right. And I know we're almost approaching to one hour. So it's just, it's just one of those podcasts. I hope you're staying with me. I hope, but I hope it's been entertaining. And again, I hope it's, it's going to bring you value, but we're almost done guys. But let me share this quick story. All right. So this past weekend, you know, after a couple of years, you know, um, I finally saw my dad and, uh, we don't have a relationship all right. It's, just, it's not anything like that. But for the past several months, he had been calling me and just uh, letting me know he wanted to see me. And it wasn't a, a constant like every week type deal. You know, he called me for my birthday a couple of months ago. And, um, you know, he, he let me know about a month and a half ago he wanted to see me. And then last week he called me and I just have to be honest with you. You know, he had told me, you know, last last Saturday that he wanted me to, to go to his house. And, and I, I have to be honest with you again. You know, we talked about transparency. I wasn't going to go. But after thinking about it, and I even talked to, to a, friend, a good friend of mine about it, I was just like, you know, I'm going to go, you know, because I'm a dad. 
And the last thing that I would want is for me to reach out to my daughter and her not respond back to me, you know? And so as a father, you know, I just, I don't, I don't want that, you know? And, and there's one thing, again, my faith plays a big part of my life. And, and one of the things that I know is that, you know, it talks about honoring your mother and your father, you know, and regardless, right. Regardless of what they've done to you, you know? And so at the end of the day, he's, he's still, he's still my dad. And so, you know, I kind of tie it to the movie here, right? Like when, uh, when, when Cruz says, Hey, no matter how much hate you got, you know, you get, you guys have the same heart. You guys have the same blood that's pumping in your hearts. Chale, vato, no matter how much hate there is between you and him, you're still connected. You got the same blood pumping through both your hearts, you say. That's a bond you can never break. It was good to see my dad. It was good to, to, to be, you know, my brother was there, you know, with his family. And it was good. So I'll, I'll just say that, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's a process. Remember, it's a process of getting people to, to just um, come together again, right? That's what reconciliation is. It's just a process to, to come together, bring some sort of harmony, you know. And so um, I'm telling you guys, it's, it's possible, all right? The next part, that's a fantasy. I love that. When Paco says, you know what I see up there? I see that that's a fantasy. And man, I'm telling you, family, again, so my brother and I, especially because, you know, we've been we've been quarantined, right? So, but, um, you know, one of the good things is that my, my brother lives close. So, you know, I know people may, may, may frown on this, but, you know, he, he lives about five minutes away. And so, you know, there's times when we hang out, right? My brother and I, we're, we're having this conversation this past weekend about certain things in our, in our lives that we wanted. And one of the things that, that I told him, I was like, you know what that is, man? It's a fantasy, bro. And so anyways, I like what Cruz says. Hey, just because you wear sunglasses don't mean you're blindness, eh? You want to know what I see up there? A fantasy, man. A dream. Three vatos looking for something that wasn't there. Loco, we stood by each other. We trusted each other. Orale, that's worth believing in. And he's right. Like Cruz said, we stood by each other. You know, our dreams, our ambitions, you know, our hopes, the things that we wanted to do. I mean, six years ago, we stepped out together on faith to pursue our dreams. And so, yeah, we believed in each other. And maybe, you know, maybe at times it may still seem like a fantasy because our dream hasn't turned out the way we. OK, that's the key word, the way we envisioned it to. The beautiful thing is that the dream is still alive and that here, here's the biggest thing. Here's the biggest blessing in that people, right, the people that we've had the privilege and opportunity to be around right or to be uh in our lives or for us to be in their lives man we've had that opportunity to help people inspire people and bless people's lives and man that's worth believing in that's worth fighting for that's worth dreaming for that's worth you know standing together and, and believing even when other people may think that you're being foolish so uh even though Baco said that's a fantasy and at times it may it may feel like that hey there's still there's still people who are being helped and inspired and blessed. And that's definitely worth believing in. Now, the last thing, the last thing is forgive yourself. So I have to, man, this really hit me, right? You know, one of the things when, when Paco was talking about, you know, you know, you blame me, right? In fact, let me, let me go ahead and play it. El gallo negro, the baddest Chicano in the barrio. Well, that ain't me, not anymore. You ain't changed the bit, is it? Oh, so what? What are you saying? It's all my fault the way everything turned out? Control everybody's destiny? Charlie. No, you're right. No, I'm not. I set Miklo up. I made him go after Spider. I mean... Miklo wouldn't be in prison. He'd still have his leg. Hey, I forgive you, Asen. I don't want your forgiveness, man! You, that's your fucking problem, is say You can't forgive yourself. You need that guilt. It's what keeps you going. Hey, I know, bro. I fed mine through a needle for 10 years. When I was preparing for this podcast, that really stood out to me because I truly believe, truly believe that someone right now who's listening to this, like your biggest battle is not that people haven't forgiven you. People have forgiven you. It's that you haven't forgiven yourself. There are things that you did or failed to do years ago that people, again, they've forgiven you for, and yet you still hold on to it. And can I tell you something? Growth can never happen when you live like that. You'll never receive peace having rage and anger because of what you did or didn't do. 
You'll never be able to truly move forward living in the past. And so what I get from this scene, man, from that part specifically, and I hope that you get too, is that you have to forgive yourself and you have to stop blaming yourself for the way that things have played out in your life. Yes, you made that decision and now you're living with the consequences, whether you like them or not, because that's just how life goes. You know, we choose, we make choices, we make decisions, but we can't always choose the consequences. So whether we like them or not, those consequences are there. But that doesn't mean you can't have a good life. That doesn't mean that your life is doomed to be one filled with loneliness, sadness and regret. So, again. Let me go back to what I said at the very beginning about the power to choose. You have the choice to move forward. And I know it's easier said than done. You know, check this out. Sometimes people people will joke, man. People will joke and snicker about me, you know, that I haven't been able to get, you know, um, a relationship with a woman. Right. Right. It's like a joke. Right. Because I, I failed in marriage and and I've gone back and forth again and again. And I just can't seem to get it right. And sometimes I know it's not done in a mean or malicious way, but it still hurts because it's something that I know, right? It's a decision, right? That I know brought pain, not only to my life, but man, also to the lives of people that I truly care about and love. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing that wasn't, wasn't, um, how do I put it? It was something that was very, very painful, right? And so again, there are consequences that, that, that have you know, come about because of those decisions and actions and it gets to me. But here's the thing. I can't expect people to understand that. Right. Can't expect them to understand that, man, it's something that I battle with that I struggle with because they're not in my shoes. So I have to know that people are going to talk. They're going to laugh regardless of what choices that I have made since that mistake, since that failure. Because that's just how people are. People always there's some people who just always want to judge you from things that you did five, 10 years ago, right? And so they're quick to judge you, quick to judge your faults, but they're slow to see theirs. And so I, I get that. I understand that I'm older now. Again, doesn't take the sting away sometimes, right? But here's what my response has to be. It's to overlook their words because William James once said, the art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. So I know I have to overlook their words, their actions, their thoughts, whatever it is, man, their judgment. I have to overlook that. I know what to overlook. I have to remember that. Okay, that's fine. They're not in my shoes. They don't know what I've been through. All right. But more than that, I have to forgive myself. And I have to remind myself that those mistakes that I committed are in the past. I can't look back. When my goal is to move forward, I can't look back. And so as I move forward, I don't do it for them. Because again, this is my journey. It's not theirs. So I do it for me. I do it for my peace. I do it for my sanity. And I do it for my life to, again, keep moving forward. And that's my encouragement to you. If there's someone in your life that you have to forgive, do it. The anger and the hate that you feel is doing more damage to you than it's doing to that person. Trust me. And if you haven't forgiven yourself, then do that as well. Your life matters, but you can't progress if your focus is on the mistakes of your past. And here's my last one. You can't make it in this life by yourself. We all need somebody to be there for us through the thick and the thin. And that's family, familia, whether they're blood related or not. We all need relationships that will be there to serve an emotional need, a real need, not just people who hang out with us and we go party with. I'm talking about real, real emotional needs. And if you have that relationship with one person or two people or three people, if you have those close relationships, those are the ones that you should cherish and adore. Those are the ones that you should take care and protect. Because besides having the power to choose, another great thing that we all have and that I hope you have is familia. Now finish it off, Crucito. Pero sabes qué ese. Hey, we got something better than a rabbit's foot, Holmes. We got familia. Raza, wey.
You know what I'm saying, sir? Es mucho gallo negro. You may be bad, but you can't dance like smooth crude. Sí, pues órale, yo y tú ese. I remember you, vato. Ah, ay, ay, negro, vato. I'm a lover, not a fighter, man. That's it for episode 25 of Mission Driven with AC Cristales. I know that I've gone a little bit over what I normally go on my solo podcast episodes, but I hope that you have found this episode entertaining, but not only entertaining, also inspiring and encouraging in this as well. Again, there's always lessons to be taken from anything that we go through in life, anything that we see in life, anything that we listen to in life. All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share it on your social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. Let's just spread this message all over social media. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure to subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review it as well. If you're listening on Spotify, make sure to press that follow button so you're well aware of when each new episode comes out and if you're on youtube make sure to subscribe to my youtube channel and so guys thank you so much for listening to this podcast and as always remember the mission is now so remain mission driven and until next time faith hope love